Section 5 of Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old, edited by William Patton, Section 5. Story of Aladdin or the Wonderful Lamp, Part 2. This offer induced Aladdin to pull his plate from under his vest and show it to the goldsmith who at first sight saw that it was made of the finest silver, and asked him if he had sold such as that to the Jew. When Aladdin told Nay, sold him twelve such for a piece of gold each. What a villain, cried the goldsmith, but added he, my son, this is past and cannot be recalled. By showing you the value of this plate, which is of the finest silver we use in our shops, I will let you see how much the Jew has cheated you. The goldsmith took a pair of scales, weighed the dish, and assured him that his plate would fetch by weight sixty pieces of gold, which he offered to pay down immediately. Aladdin thanked him for his fair dealing and never after went to any other person. Though Aladdin and his mother had an inexhaustible treasure in their lamp and might have had whatever they wished for, yet they lived with the same frugality as before, and it may easily be supposed that the money for which Aladdin had sold the dishes and tray was sufficient to maintain them some time. During this interval, Aladdin frequented the shops of the principal merchants where they sold cloth of gold and silver, linen, silk stuffs, and jewelry, and oftentimes joining in their conversation acquired a knowledge of the world and a desire to improve himself. By his acquaintance among the jewelers, he came to know that the fruits which he had gathered when he took the lamp were, instead of colored glass, stones of inestimable value. But he had had the prudence not to mention this to anybody, not even to his mother. One day, as Aladdin was walking about the town, he heard an order proclaimed, commanding the people to shut up their shops and houses and keep within doors while the princess Budar al-Bador, the sultan's daughter, went to the bath and returned. This proclamation inspired Aladdin with an eager desire to see the princess's face, which he determined to gratify by placing himself behind the door of the bath so that he could not fail to see her face. Aladdin had not long concealed himself before the princess came. She was attended by a great crowd of ladies, slaves, and mutes, who walked on each side and behind her. When she came within three or four paces of the door of the bath, she took off her veil and gave Aladdin an opportunity of a full view of her face. The princess was a noted beauty. Her eyes were large, lively, and sparkling, her smile bewitching, her nose faultless, her mouth small, her lips vermilion. It is not therefore surprising that Aladdin, who had never before seen such a blaze of charms, was dazzled and enchanted. After the princess had passed by and entered the bath, Aladdin quitted his hiding place and went home. His mother perceived him to be more thoughtful and melancholy than usual, and asked him what had happened to make him so, or if he was ill. He then told his mother all his adventure, and concluded by declaring, I love the princess more than I can express, and am resolved that I will ask her in marriage of the sultan. Aladdin's mother listened with surprise to what her child told her, but when he talked of asking the princess in marriage, she laughed aloud. Last child, she said, what are you thinking of? You must be mad to talk thus. I assure you, mother, replied Aladdin, that I am not mad, but in my right senses. I foresaw that you would reproach me with folly and extravagance, but I must tell you once more that I have resolved to demand the princess of the sultan in marriage, nor do I despair of success. I have the slaves of the lamp and of the ring to help me, and you know how powerful their aid is. And I have another secret to tell you. Those pieces of glass which I got from the trees in the garden of the subterranean palace are jewels of inestimable value and fit for the greatest monarchs. All the precious stones the jewelers have in Baghdad are not to be compared to mine for size or beauty, and I am sure that the offer of them will secure the favor of the sultan. You have a large porcelain dish fit to hold them. Fetch it, and let us see how they will look when we have arranged them according to their different colors. Aladdin's mother brought the china dish, which he took the jewels out of the two purses in which he had kept them, and placed them in order according to his fancy. But the brightness and luster they emitted in the daytime and the variety of the colors so dazzled the eyes both of mother and son that they were astonished beyond measure. 
Aladdin's mother, emboldened by the sight of these rich jewels and fearful lest her son should be guilty of greater extravagance, complied with his request and promised to go early in the next morning to the palace of the Sultan. Aladdin rose before daybreak, awakened his mother, pressing her to go to the Sultan's palace and get admittance, possibly before the Grand Vizier. The other viziers and the great officers of state went in to take their seats in the divan where the Sultan always attended in person. Aladdin's mother took the china dish in which they had put the jewels the day before, wrapped it in two fine napkins, and set forward to for the Sultan's palace. When she came to the gates, the Grand Vizier, the other viziers, and most distinguished lords of the court were just in. Aladdin's mother took the china dish in which they had put the jewels the day before, wrapped it in two fine napkins, and set forward for the Sultan's palace. When she came to the gates, the Grand Vizier, the other viziers, and most distinguished lords of the court were just gone in. But notwithstanding the crowd of people was great, she got into the divine, a spacious hall, the entrance into which was very magnificent. She placed herself just before the Sultan, Grand Vizier, and the great lords who sat in council on his right and left hand. Several causes were called, according to their order, pleaded and adjudged, until the time the divan generally broke up, and the sultan, rising, returned to his apartment, attended by the grand vizier, the other viziers, and ministers of state, then retired, as also did all those who business had called them thither. Aladdin's mother, seeing the sultan retire and all the people depart, judged rightly that he would not sit again that day, and resolved to go home, and on their arrival said with much simplicity, Son, I have seen the sultan, and I am very well persuaded he has seen me too, for I placed myself just before him. But he was so much taken up with those who attended on all sides of him that I pitied him and wondered at his patience. At last I believe he was heartily tired, for he rose up suddenly and would not hear a great many who were ready prepared to speak to him, but went away at which I was well pleased, for indeed I began to lose all patience and was extremely fatigued with staying so long. But there is no hard done. I will go again tomorrow. Perhaps the sultan may not be so busy. The next morning she repaired to the sultan's palace with the present as early as the day before, but when she came there she found the gates of the divan shut. She went six times afterwards on the days appointed, placed herself always directly before the sultan, but with as little success as the first morning. On the sixth day, however, the divan was broken up. When the sultan returned to his own apartment, he said to his grand vizier, I have for some time observed a certain woman who always attends every day that I give audience, with something wrapped up in a napkin. She always stands up from the beginning to the breaking up of the audience, and affects to place herself just before me. If this woman comes to our next audience, do not fail to call her, that I may hear what she has to say. The Grand Vizier made answer by lowering his hand and then lifting it up above his head, signifying his willingness to lose it if he failed. On the next audience day, when Aladdin's mother went to the divan and placed herself in front of the Sultan as usual, the Grand Vizier immediately called the chief of the mace-bearers, and pointing to her, bade him bring her before the Sultan. The old woman at once followed the mace-bearer, and when she reached the Sultan, bound her head down to the carpet which covered the platform of the throne, and remained in that posture until he bade her rise, which he had no sooner done than he said to her, Good woman, I have observed you to stand many days from the beginning to the rising in divan. What business brings you here? After these words, Aladdin's mother prostrated herself a second time, and when she arose, said, Monarch of monarchs, I beg of you to pardon the boldness of my petition, and to assure you me of the pardon and forgiveness. Well, replied the Sultan, I will forgive you, be it what it may, and no hurt shall come to you. Speak boldly. When Aladdin's mother had taken all the precautions for fear of the Sultan's anger, she told him faithfully there in which her son had sent her, and the event which led to his making so bold a request in spite of all her remonstrations. The Sultan hearkened to this discourse without showing the least anger, but before he gave any answer, asked her what she had brought tied up in a napkin. She took the china dish which she had sat down at the foot of the throne, untied it, and presented it to the Sultan. The Sultan's amazement and surprise were inexpressible when he saw so many large, beautiful, and valuable jewels collected in the dish. He remained for some time lost in admiration, 
at last when he had recovered himself he received a present from aladdin's mother's hand saying how rich how beautiful after he had admired and handled all the jewels one after another he turned to his grand vizier and showing him the dish said behold admire wonder and confess that your eyes never beheld jewels so rich and beautiful before the vizier was charmed well continued sultan what saith you to such a present is it not worthy of the princess my daughter and ought i not to bestow her on the one who values her as so great a price i cannot but own replied the grand vizier that the present is worthy of the princess but i beg of your majesty to grant me three months before you come to a final resolution i hope before that time my son whom you have regarded with your favor will be able to make a nobler present than this aladdin who is the entire stranger to your majesty the sultan granted his request and he said to the old woman good woman go home and tell your son that i agree to his proposal you have made me but i cannot marry the princess my daughter for three months at the expiration of that time come again aladdin's mother returned home with much more gratified than she had expected and told her son with much joy the condescending answer she had received from the sultan's own mouth and that she was to come to the divan again that day three months aladdin thought himself the most happy of all men at hearing this news and thanked his mother for the pains she had taken in the affair the good success of which was of so great importance to his peace that he counted every day week and even hour as it passed when two of them three months had passed his mother one evening having no oil in the house went out to buy some and found a general rejoicing the houses dressed in foliage silks and carpeting and everyone striving to show the joy according to their ability the streets are covered with officers and habits of ceremony mounted on horses richly caparisoned each attended by a great many footmen aladdin's mother asked the oil merchant what was the meaning of all this preparation of public festivity whence came you good woman he said he that you don't know the grand vizier's son is to marry the princess Badu al Bador, the sultan's daughter to-night she will presently return from the bath and these officers whom you see are to assist at the cavalcade to the palace where the ceremony is to be solemnized aladdin's mother on hearing the news ran home very quickly child cried she you are undone the sultan's fine promise will come to naught this night the grand vizier's son is to marry the princess budur al-badar at this account aladdin was thunderstruck and he bethought himself of the lamp and of the genie who had promised to obey him and without indulging in idle words against the sultan the vizier or his son he determined if possible to prevent the marriage when aladdin got into his chamber he took the lamp rubbed it in the same place as before when immediately the genie appeared and said to him what wouldst thou have i am ready to obey thee as thy slave i and the other slaves of the lamp hear me said aladdin thou hast hitherto obeyed me now i am about to impose on thee a harder task the sultan's daughter who has promised me as my bride is this night married to the son of the grand vizier bring them both hither to me immediately they retire to their bedchamber master replied the genie i obey you aladdin supped with his mother as was their wont and then went to his own apartment and sat up to await the return of the genie according to his commands in the meantime the festivities in honor of the princess's marriage were conducted in the sultan's palace of great magnificence the ceremonies were at last brought to a conclusion and a princess and the son of the vizier retired to the bedchamber prepared for them no sooner had they entered it and dismissed their attendants than the genie the faithful slave of the lamp to the great amazement and alarm of the bride and bridegroom took up the bed and by an agency invisible to them transported it in an instant to aladdin's bedchamber remove the bridegroom said aladdin to the genie and keep him a prisoner till tomorrow dawn and then return with him here on aladdin being left alone with the princess he endeavored to assuage her fears and explain to her the treachery practised upon him by the sultan her father he then laid himself down beside her putting a drawn scimitar between them to show that he was determined to secure her safety and to treat her with the utmost possible respect at break of day the genie appeared at the appointed hour bringing back the bridegroom who by breathing upon he had left motionless and entranced at the door of the aladdin's chamber during the night and at aladdin's command transported a couch with the bride and bridegroom on it by the same invisible agency into the palace of the sultan 
At the instant that the genie had set down on the couch with the bride and bridegroom in their own chamber, the sultan came to the door to offer his good wishes to his daughter. The grand vizier's son, who was almost perished with cold by standing in his thin undergarment all night, no sooner heard the knocking at the door when he got out of bed and ran into the robing chamber where he had undressed himself the night before. The sultan, having opened the door, went to the bedside, kissed the princess on the forehead, but was extremely surprised to see her look so melancholy. She only cast at him a sorrowful look, expressive of great affliction. He suspected there was something extraordinary in that silence and thereupon went immediately to the sultaness's apartment, told her in what a state he found the princess, and how she had received him. Sire, said the sultaness, I will go and see her. She will not receive me in the same manner. The princess received her mother with sighs and tears, and signs of deep dejection. At last, upon her pressing on her the duty of telling her all her thoughts, she gave to the sultaness a precise description of all that had happened during the night, on which the sultaness enjoined on her the necessity of science and discretion, as no one would give credence to so strange a tale. The Grand Vizier's son, elated with the honor of being a sultan's son-in-law, kept silence on his part, and the events of the night were not allowed to cast the least gloom on the festivities on the following day, in continued celebration of the royal marriage. When night came, the bride and bridegroom were again attended to their chamber with the same ceremonies as on the preceding evening. Aladdin, knowing that this would be so, had already given his commands to the genie of the lamp, and no sooner were they alone than their bed was removed in the same mysterious manner as on the preceding evening. And having passed the night in the same unpleasant way, they were in the morning conveyed to the palace of the sultan. Scarcely had they been replaced in their apartment than the sultan came to make his compliments to his daughter, when the princess could no longer conceal from him the unhappy treatment she had been subjected to, and told him all that had happened as she had already related to her mother. The sultan, on hearing these strange tidings, consulted with the grand vizier, and finding from him that his son had been subjected to even worse treatment by an invisible agency, he determined to declare the marriage to be cancelled, and all the festivities, which were yet to last for several days, to be countermanded and terminated. The sudden change in the mind of the sultan gave rise to various speculations and reports. Nobody but Aladdin knew the secret, and he kept it with the most scrupulous silence, and neither the sultan nor the grand vizier who had forgotten Aladdin and his request, had the least thought that they had any hand in the strange adventures that befell the bride and bridegroom. On the very day that the three months contained in the sultan's promise expired, the mother of Aladdin again went to the palace and stood in the same place in the divan. The sultan knew her again and directed his vizier to have her brought before him. After having prostrated herself, she made answer and replied to the sultan, Sir, I come at the end of the three months to ask of you the fulfillment of the promise you made to my son. The sultan little thought the request of Aladdin's mother was made to him in earnest or that he would hear any more of the matter. He therefore took counsel with his vizier, who suggested that the sultan should attach such conditions to the marriage that no one in the humble condition of Aladdin could possibly fulfill. In accordance with this suggestion of the vizier, the sultan replied to the mother of Aladdin, Good woman, it is true sultans ought to abide by their word, and I am ready to keep mine by making your son happy in marriage with the princess my daughter. But as I cannot marry her without some further proof of your son being able to support her in royal state, you may tell him I will fulfill my promise as soon as he shall send me forty trays of massy gold, full of the same sort of jewels you have already made me a present of, carried by a like number of black slaves, who shall be led by as many young and handsome white slaves, all dressed magnificently. On these conditions I am ready to bestow the princess my daughter upon him. Therefore, good woman, go and tell him so, and I will wait you to bring me his answer. Aladdin's mother prostrated himself a second time before the sultan's throne and retired. On her way home she laughed within herself at her son's foolish imagination, where she said can he get so many large gold trays and such precious stones to fill them. It is altogether out of his power, and I believe he will not be much pleased with my embassy this time. When she came home full of these thoughts, she told Aladdin all the circumstances of her interview with the sultan and the conditions on which he consented to the marriage. The sultan expects your answer immediately, said she, and then added, laughing, I believe he may wait long enough. Not so long, mother, as you imagine, replied Aladdin. This demand is a mere trifle and will prove no bar to my marriage with the princess. I will prepare at once to satisfy his request. 
Aladdin retired to his own apartment and summoned the genie of the lamp, and required him to immediately prepare and present a gift before the sultan closed his morning audience. According to the terms in which he had been prescribed, the genie professed his obedience to the owner of the lamp and disappeared. Within a very short time, a train of forty black slaves led by the same number of white slaves appeared opposite the house in which Aladdin lived. Each black slave carried on his head a basin of massy gold full of pearls, diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. Aladdin then addressed his mother, Madam, pray lose no time before the sultan and divine rise. I would have you return to the palace with this present as the dowry demanded for the princess, that he may judge by my diligence and exactness of the ardent and sincere desire I have to procure myself the honor of this alliance. As soon as this magnificent procession with Aladdin's mother at its head had begun to march from Aladdin's house, the whole city was filled with the crowds of people desirous to see so grand a sight. The graceful bearing, elegant form, and wonderful likenesses of each slave, their grave walk at equal distance from each other, their luster of their bejeweled girdles, and the brilliancy of the aggregates of precious stones in their turbans excited the greatest admiration in the spectators. As they had to pass through several streets to the palace, the whole length of the way was lined with files of spectators. Nothing indeed was ever so beautiful and brilliant in the sultan's palace, and the richest robes of the emirs of the court were not to be compared to the costly dresses of these slaves, whom they supposed to be kings. As the sultan had been informed of their approach, had given orders for them to be admitted, they met with no obstacle, but went into the divan in regular order, one part turning to the right and the other to the left. After they were all entered, and had formed a semicircle before the sultan's throne, the black slaves laid the golden trays on the carpet, prostrated themselves, touching the carpet with their foreheads, and at the same time the white slaves did the same. When they rose, the black slaves uncovered the trays, and then all stood with their arms across their breasts. In the meantime, Aladdin's mother advanced to the foot of the throne, and having prostrated herself, said to the sultan, Sir, my son knows this present is much below the notice of Princess Badu al-Bador, but hopes nevertheless that your majesty will accept it and make it agreeable to the princess, and with the greater confidence since he has endeavored to conform to the conditions you were pleased to impose. The sultan, overpowered at the sight of such more than royal magnificence, replied without hesitation to the words of Aladdin's mother, Go and tell your son that I wait with open arms to embrace him, and the more haste he makes to come and receive the princess my daughter from my hands, the greater pleasure he will do me. As soon as the Aladdin's mother had retired and the sultan put an into the audience and rising from his throne, ordered that the princess's attendant should come and carry the trays into their mistress's apartment, whither he went himself to examine them with her at his leisure. The fourscore slaves were conducted into the palace, and the sultan, telling the princess of their magnificent apparel, ordered them to be brought before her apartment, that she might see through the lattices he had not exaggerated in his account of them. In the meantime, Aladdin's mother reached home and showed in her air and countenance the good news she had brought her son. My son, she said, you may rejoice, you are arrived at the height of your desires. The sultan has declared that you shall marry the princess Badu al-Bador. He waits for you with impatience. Aladdin, enraptured with this news, made his mother very little reply, but retired to his chamber. There he rubbed his lamp, and the obedient genie appeared. Genie, said Aladdin, convey me at once to a bath, and supply me with the richest and most magnificent robe ever worn by a monarch. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the genie rendered him, as well as himself, invisible and transported him into a human of the finest marble of all sorts of colors, where he was undressed without seeing by whom in a magnificent and spacious hall. He was then well rubbed and washed of various scented waters. After he had passed through several degrees of heat, he came out quite a different man than he was before. His skin was clear as that of a child, his body lightsome and free, and when he returned into the hall, he found instead of his own poor raiment, a robe of magnificence of which astonished him. The genie helped him to dress, and when he had done, transported him back to his own chamber, where he asked him if he had any other commands. Yes, answered Aladdin, bring me a charger that surpasses in beauty and goodness the best in the sultan's stables, with a saddle, bridle, and other comparisons to correspond with his value. 
Furnish also twenty slaves as richly clothed as those who carried the present to the sultan, to walk by my side and follow me, and twenty more to go before me in two ranks. Besides these, bring my mother six women slaves to attend her, as richly dressed at least as any as Princess Badu or Abadors, each carrying a complete dress fit for any sultaness. I want also ten thousand pieces of gold and ten purses. Go and make haste. As soon as Aladdin had given these orders, the genie disappeared, but presently returned with the horse, the forty slaves, ten of whom carried each a purse, containing ten thousand pieces of gold, and six women slaves, each carrying on her head a different dress for Aladdin's mother, wrapped up in a piece of silver tissue, and presented them all to Aladdin. He presented the six women slaves to his mother, telling her they were her slaves, and that the dresses they had brought were for her use. Of the ten purses, Aladdin took four, which he gave to his mother, telling her those were to supply her with necessities. The other six he left in the hands of the slaves who brought them, with an order to throw them by handfuls among the people as they went to the sultan's palace. The six slaves who carried the purses he ordered likewise to march before him, three on his right hand and three on his left. When Aladdin had thus prepared himself for his first interview with the sultan, he dismissed the genie, and immediately mounting his charger, began his march. And though he never was on horseback before, appeared with a grace the most experienced horsemen might envy. The innumerable concourse of people through whom he passed made the air echo with their acclamations, especially every time the six slaves who carried the purses threw handfuls of gold amongst the populace. On Aladdin's arrival at the palace, the sultan was surprised to find a more richly and magnificently robed than he had ever been himself, and was oppressed with his good looks and dignity of manner, which were so different from what he expected in the son of one so hobble as Aladdin's mother. He embraced him with all his demonstrations of joy, and when he would have fallen at his feet, held him by the hand and made him sit near his throne. He shortly after led him amid the sounds of trumpets, hot boys, and all kinds of music to a magnificent entertainment at which the sultan and Aladdin ate by themselves. And the great lords of the court, according to the rank and dignity, sat at different tables. After the feast, the sultan sent for the chief caddy and commanded him to draw up a contract of marriage between the princess Badu al-Badur and Aladdin. When the contract had been drawn, the sultan asked Aladdin if he would stay in the palace and complete the ceremonies of marriage that day. Sire, said Aladdin, though great is my impatience to enter on the honor granted me by your majesty, yet I beg you to permit me first build a palace worthy to receive the princess, your daughter. I pray you to grant me sufficient ground near your palace, and I will have it completed with the utmost expedition. The sultan granted Aladdin his request, and again embraced him, after which he took his leave which as much politeness as if he had been bred up and always lived at court. Aladdin returned home in the order he had come, amid the acclamations of the people who wished him all happiness and prosperity. As soon as he dismounted, he retired to his own chamber, took the lamp, and summoned the genie as usual, who professed his allegiance. Genie, said Aladdin, build me a palace fit to receive the princess Badu Abador. Let its materials be made of nothing less than porphyry, jasper, agate, lapis lazuli, and the finest marble. Let its walls be massive gold and silver bricks laid alternately. Let each front contain six windows, and let the lattices of these, except one which must be left unfinished, be enriched with diamonds, rubies, and emeralds, so that they shall exceed everything of the kind ever seen in the world. Let there be an inner and outer court in front of the palace and a spacious garden. But of all things, provide a safe treasure house and fill it with gold and silver. Let there also be kitchens and storehouses, stables full of the finest horses with their equerries and grooms, and hunting equipage, officers, attendants, and slaves. Both men and women to afford a retinue for the princess and myself. Go and execute my wishes. When Aladdin gave these commands to the genie, the sun was set. The next morning at daybreak, the genie presented himself, and having obtained Aladdin's consent, transported him in a moment to the palace he had made. The genie led him through all the apartments which he found officers and slaves, habited according to the 
their rank and services to which they were appointed. The genie then showed him the treasury, which was opened by a treasurer where Aladdin saw large vases of different sizes piled up to the top with money ranged all around the chamber. The genie thence led him to the stables where some of the finest horses in the world and the grooms busy in dressing them. From thence they went to the storehouses which were filled with all the things necessary both for food and ornament. When Aladdin had examined every portion of the palace and particularly the hall with the four and twenty windows and found it to far exceed his fondest expectations, he said, Genie, there is one thing wanting, a fine carpet for the princess to walk upon from the sultan's palace to mine. Lay one down immediately. End of section 5